there. I am back. This is Dr. Caroline Thea Jones, and I am here today for another episode of Real Talk with Real People, and I have a guest today, and my guest is named Jonathan Travis. Hello, Jonathan. Hello, hello. How you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you? Can't complain. Good. I'm really happy that you uh, decided that you wanted to come and talk to me. I'm honored that you actually asked me to be a guest. Well, you know, I want to have a lot of guests, and I like to have a lot of interesting guests. We're going to talk about a lot of things. That's good. So why don't you tell me about yourself? Um, Jonathan Travis. I currently work for DCPMP. I've been doing that for approximately 15 years. Um, graduate of Morehouse College, prior graduate of Morehouse College, start for Black College, OML. Um, I also am an actor. I um, now am a playwright slash director. Um, so I'm just trying. That's that's my main hobby. That takes me away from the real world. Everything that's going on it relaxes me. It releases my stress. So um, that that's my that's my baby. I guess you could say in a way. Yeah. A- acting. That's good. And I like how you said that takes you away from the real world because I'm looking at your resume here. And plus, you said that you've been. Um, basically working at the Division of Child Protection for like 15, 15 years. years. Now, that must be some heavy work. It is, um, it is heavy work. It, um, you see a lot. You experience a lot. Um, unfortunately, sometimes when you see something that's so bad over and over again, you become numb to it. So other people, when they hear my stories, they be like, oh, I don't know how you do this every day. But unfortunately, like after a while, um, I don't want to. I don't want to say numb in a negative way, but unfortunately, it becomes like normal. Um, unfortunately, and um, you with a job like that, you definitely need something to, to relax you, to take your stress away, to take your mind off of what's going on there, um, to re-energize, refresh yeah. yourself. You know. Yeah. You said normal though. Mm, it's kind of hard to say normal when it comes to stuff like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, that's, and especially, and I don't mean to cut you no, off, no. but with everything that's happening in the world right now with, I don't really want to mention his name, but with our current situation with children being detained and held and separated from their parents, right. how does that make you feel? I mean, it, having seeing that every single day in your job. It's funny um, that you bring that up um, in that context because when they first started talking about... Um, Placing children in um, what they call them cages, quote yeah. unquote cages. The first thing that popped into my head was that I know based off experience. Um, when I was in grad school, I wrote my um, grad school paper to graduate on the analysis of child protective services in black families. Um, and with me writing that paper, I learned so much about child protective services, basically the other side. Mm-hmm. I'm working at my job, the trainings I have, they're going to teach you what they want to teach you. You're going to um, learn what they teach you. Um, the policies is based off of what they feel is, is best for their families. But when I did my paper, it's a 30-page paper I did, you learn statistics, you learn um, policy, you learn so many other things on a federal level, national level that you wouldn't learn at these trainings that they're giving at my job. Um, not to say that what they're teaching at my job, that trains are negative, it's just that there's so much other information out there right. that I wasn't aware of until I did this paper. And one of the things that, one of the first things you learn, whether or not you um, do research or you just go to trainings in this job, 
is that when you remove children from their families, there's going to be psychological damage. Of course. There's going to be physical abuse from other children who are going through similar situations, not know how to deal with it, not know how to cope with what's going on in their life. And unfortunately, you're going to have children sometimes in placements that sexually abused. I'm just telling you factual information. Um, so when they said that these children were going to be separated from their parents, I, I automatically knew <laughs> what was coming. Right. You, there's, there's nothing. Um, and when I said normal before about what I see, I don't mean that it is normal. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when, you, like anything you see over and over every day, every day, you, you see it five days a it. week, eight to ten hours a day. Yeah. It, it's not normal, but it's almost like it's just this is what happens. This is what I. This is what I do. Just I've seen this already. So not to say it's normal, but unfortunately, nine to five, it kind of becomes your life. Yeah. And to go back to what I was saying, um, I already knew what was going to happen with these children being separated from their parents. I mean, just common sense. If a child, if you don't have any experience with mm-hmm. um, child protective services, and you're a parent, and somebody takes your child away from you, you already know that you're not going to eat like you eat, you're not going to function like you function, There's, you're not going to be able to do your day-to-day routine. Right. So to think that these children, not only coming from another country, they're already going through um, trauma. trauma in their mm-hmm. own country, where they're from, and their parents are fleeing to get away from the gang violence and everything else occurring, the poverty, and, and the route they have to take to come here. Sometimes they do come without parents. Sometimes they have the coyotes, who are people that the parents pay lots of money to get the children to the U.S., um, how you how do you think nothing is going to happen to these children that's going to make their situation worse than what it already is? Right. What do you think about the policy, though? Oh, I'm definitely not. You mean as far as the children being separated from their parents? As, as far as what's been happening lately with all of it. I'm definitely not in agreement with any of it. Um, no, I'm not in agreement with any of it. Um, There's... That whether my, my, my issue is that whether you're for um, undocumented people coming to this country, staying in this country, whatever your, your view is on immigration, the way that it's occurring mm-hmm. is just like first we're human. We're human and then we are who we are, our nationality, our right. race. But we're human and just being human, you deserve to get treated with like, like a human. The basic necessities, you have water, sleep, food, like just the basics and to know that some of these people are not or a lot of these people are not even given the basic necessities to survive clothing water the, i saw a couple weeks on the news they were trying to justify why they don't need soap and toothbrushes i mean yeah. that's i mean yeah. we're human at the end right, of the day right um th- there's nothing i don't think anybody in the world could do um i don't say that but you know th- there's just not too many things people could do that you would just take away their basic necessities in order to survive right especially Uh-oh. since they didn't do anything except try to have a better right, life right 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 and these are children so they didn't have a decision right and a lot of people i think forget that these are children that are going with their parents so it's not like you're seven years old eight years old you're coming you're going with your parents it's not like you can say to your parents no i want to stay here i don't want to go you're, these children are going with their parents and at right. the end of the day you can be angry about what's going on but you have to remember the back of your head that these children didn't have a decision with what their parents like they didn't have a decision about what decision their parents made they didn't have a say in it right so now they're suffering because of a decision their parents made for to better their life but then on top of that they're suffering because we're trying to i guess 
prove that you're not going to come to this country in a certain manner. I, I honestly don't know what the goal is, to right. be honest. I'm just guessing. Yeah, I don't know what the goal is either. I have kind of mixed feelings about it, too, because where I do understand that we have to protect our borders, right. the, I don't think that that's a question as to whether or not the United States should protect the borders. Right. But, again, I'm with you. It's how we treat people right, that, right. that come here. Right. There, there still have to be some type of protocol put in place where we're not causing more damage right. than we are right. um, harm. So I, I only brought that up because I know that you work in that type of a situation right. and it's your daily. I, man, I knew this. As soon as, I'm telling you, as soon as they said, matter of fact, I had a discussion with my friend a while back. Um, he was saying some things that I, I disagreed with. And one of the first things I brought up was um, this wasn't going to work out. Okay. Just based off my job. Um, and then if you just basic economics, like this is expensive to do. So people are like, oh, we, we can't keep paying for this, paying for that. But you're okay with this, which costs the taxpayers a lot more money. A lot more money. So it's just. So it's not a, it's not a money issue at all. Not trying to prove a point, in my opinion. That's okay. all it's about. It's and, trying to prove a point. And what's the point? Huh. That if you come over here, we're going to make your life so miserable that you won't want to come over nah, here. Nah, it's not. It's who comes over here. Everybody comes over here has to deal with that. It's, okay. it's, it's people, certain people have to. All right, to. so I'm really glad you brought that up because, yeah. you know, I was it's, it's not, I was treading lightly, but nah, we don't have to tread le- lightly. We, gotta, we, gotta, we can speak our peace. Yeah, it's, it's certain people that can't come over here. And if they come over here, they're treated a certain way. Okay. Um, because aren't we, aren't, okay. Isn't everybody in the United States a, a, a melting pot of cultures? Didn't we? Well, not us, but you know what I mean. Didn't they all come over here in the same manner? Okay, maybe not illegally. Maybe they didn't illegally cross over. But, I mean, what is the whole idea of the Statue of Liberty, um, the, the Ellis Island, the give us your poor, give us your wretched, give us your whatever? Isn't didn't didn't we invite this? Didn't we? Did, when I say we, and I'm talking about the United States, isn't it's like a neon f- sign that says, "Hey, we will give you refuge. Come over here, and you will find your happiness because everyone has a right to happiness." Isn't that what we stand for? I think I think that's uh, yes and no. And it's funny you said about the Statue of Liberty. I don't know if you saw. Um, I I saw the article really quick, like right before I came. Matter of fact. Um, Somebody from the Trump administration. Um, oh, I saw that article. He said he kind of made his own little uh, quote for from the Statue of Liberty, saying, "Only come over here if you can stand on your own two feet." Uh, yeah, so but I don't think that's originally how it was. No, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yo, I mean, come on. Um, he's from a group of people that have been privileged in America. They didn't like they got the land, they put in policies, mm-hmm. they put in laws that helped them advance tremendously okay um so f- for him to say that america uh, i mean america's built off slavery and and as well as other immigrants the chinese build the railroad you know everybody knows the history well right. not everybody but well not, every, the, not everybody not, knows uh, yeah, the history but you yeah. should know that basically america was built off of several different people off of cheap labor yes um people treated like property slaves yes so, so to say that people have to come over here and they come over here, they should come over here and be able to stand on their own two feet. That that will go back to 
the beginning of when this country first got established, they didn't stay. They wasn't standing on their first two. They they weren't staying on their own two feet when they first got here. They needed the Native Americans to show them around mm-hmm. how to survive, to build. They needed the slaves to get the economy going. So I mean, the, a lot of the stuff that they say, people will take it because it sounds good, and people often forget that everybody needed help along the way at one point or another. I think a lot of people just think that they really did get things on their own um, or made their achievements on their own. But I don't care who you are, me personally, at some point in your life, you received help along the way. Of course, every one um, of us. Yeah, some people more than others. but A lot of people more than others. Right, but at the end of the day, nobody, I, I've never met a person, even if they think they have, I can prove to them at some point they didn't. Nobody ever made it to where they got on mm-hmm. their complete on their own. That's 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 bogus and for him to to think that's what the statue of liberty means is that's just you know it's disappointing yeah there was another article i just read about the fbi list oh boy (laughs) (laughs) okay i'll I'll be trying not to get so political right off the bat i'm gonna put you on the spot though (laughs) it's it's good it's good It's, it's fine i don't i don't mind talking about this stuff um uh, I know you're talking about the black extremist, the black yes. identity extremist. Okay, I, I would like to know the definition of that because I might fall in that category. You might I, fall I'm in that definitely, category. I'm definitely so in that I'm category. wondering what is the definition of that? You know what it is. You, you know what it is. <laughs> but I want you to say it. <laughs> uh, uh, man, I look at that. Not, okay, so let's just, for everybody who doesn't know, let's just clarify. They said not only are they targeting or they're, they're putting black I- identity, is it? Extremists on the list, I believe it's black identity extremists on the list, FBI list. Yes. They're saying they're a bigger threat than Al Qaeda yes, and white nationalists. That's what I'm saying. Yes. So that's that's the yes. leak that came out. That's exactly what they're saying. We're, we're a we're bigger, bigger threat than Al Qaeda and white nationalists. Oh my God. So I just read that. The so anybody that knows COINTELPRO, once again, they took down a Black Panther, set up Martin Luther King, this is the FBI. These are these are leaked documents that came out in the seventies. Um J. Edgar Hoover led the FBI. They came out. They they found this information that basically, um, J. Edgar Hoover did not like uh, black uh, nationalists. He did not like uh, black civil rights movement leaders, mm-hmm. whatnot. So he basically tracked them, set them up. Wrote he had the Black Panthers writing letters to each other to sabotage their organization, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I can't be surprised by this, and and I'm just not surprised by it because it, since we've been discovered. <laughs> I want to say <laughs> discovered um, discovered by, by we were not discovered I'm, I'm, being, sarca- uh, okay. I'm being sarcastic <laughs> okay, I'm being right, sarcastic right. since some people met us for the first time a couple hundred years ago so okay. I'm basically saying I'm being sarcastic but some people met us a few hundred years ago we've been studied since you think we've been studied oh, you know we have we've okay. been studied since uh, listen, they have the we, test- ha- we might be having some listeners out there who may not understand this stuff this may be new to some 18 year old that, or, or or someone please th- don't take my word research everything i'm telling you we research hope everything. everyone will begin to research Re- we do need that people need to research because yes that's not, i'm going to tell you i'm trying to come back though that's another issue i have why do we always wait for people to present information to us like i i felt some type of way when people the um documentary the 13 13 came yeah, out 13 and everybody started like oh did you know about this about clinton did you know about the prison then the new jim crow and i'm like i'm glad y'all y'all just getting into this but this information is old this information has been out it's it's information that's been out but you got to understand that people receive information at different times 
we awaken at different moments. Right. We get aware at different aspects of our life as we take this journey. It's not the same for everybody. And I have no problem with that. My problem is that people, and I, I see it with the Central Park Five movie that came out as well. I have no, I have it was no, hard to watch. I, I don't think for me, I knew about the Central Park Five. I, I, I knew when it was happening. It was. I, I, my comment was the movie was hard to watch. Right. No. No. I agree okay. with that. But my issue is that we. Okay, you disagree with me, but I think we wait too much for information to come to us instead of us going to get it. Um, and well, when and when the information, I, I won't disagree with you with that. I yeah, will not because that's, that's my whole life. I'm a researcher. That's right, what I do. That's my. But it's not the norm, Jonathan. It's not what? the norm. It's not the norm for people to just go out and start looking for information. That's not the norm. It take, I think it takes a special mind, a special mind in a person to, to go out there and, and try to search for things and try to gather information. I think the norm is you sitting around waiting for things to happen. That's the norm. You don't think that's the norm? I, I think, honestly, I think it, it's... Yes, you can disagree no, with No, 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 I'm trying to... I do agree with you. I do agree with you, but at the same time, it's the part I disagree about. I'm trying to find out how to word it. So I, I especially think that if you're educated, for example, right? If you're educated and you have a, a and you have a clue about some of what's going on, you know, something about the economy doesn't make sense. Something about how, how is it that you know 50% of presidents are black? Um, mm. Don't quote me on number something. I'm just throwing stuff right. out there. Right? No, I know. Make an example. Right. And you just leave it at that. At what point do you go out and say, "I need to find out more about this," or something doesn't make sense? So that's the part where I would say, like, I can't wait for somebody to bring that to me. Like, I, I I'm not. Um, I never studied economics. Um, I, I don't know much about like the world economy, but because this has become a, after the Great Depression, I became very curious about the economy. So I actually started reading books about the economy. I started watching documentaries about the economy. Because mm -hmm. people will start telling you stuff like, oh, um, you know, people on welfare, people who are poor on welfare, they make it a spend all this tax money. But then I come to find out that corporate, the corporate America actually gets more tax money, more government benefits than, than uh, poor people combined. Yeah. So that's just an example of like, at some point, where do we take the responsibility of trying to find out information? Because one of the issues I have is that the media is always going to tell you what they want you to know. Of course. So when do we break out? So when do we break out of that? When do we say I need to find out for myself? I would love to know the answer to that. Right. I do not know. Right. But I do know that yeah. I've encountered more people who are not interested in doing the research right. I than I have with people who are like you or like myself right. who. There ain't no way in the world I'm going to take anybody's word for anything. Right. I am always researching. But but then let me ask you, so when so when those people I I me I I can't get it. I don't understand at one point when you can do better, you do better because at my point like, cuz you're just going to keep waiting for people to tell you stuff. And I just have an issue like especially black people like we can't just keep waiting for people to give us information because they're going to tell you what they want to tell exactly. you. They, they, but don't you think there's some kind of programming done there too? I mean, of course. I, think, I, I was getting ready to say, I mean, this is not just something that, oh yeah, we just got to, I think it's been, it's been deliberate. 
There's a deliberate program. You remember there was a time when, when black people couldn't, couldn't even read. read. Couldn't read. It was against the law for you to read. Now, we had our few. We had our few, obviously, who defied the law so that they can get this information. But it wasn't the norm, Jonathan. You know that. Right, right. And they were scared to death. Right. No, I understand what you're saying. I, under I completely understand. So we got to break that program. But if, if the question is how long is it going to take for the program to be broken, that's a legitimate question. I'd like to know how long does this take? Because I remember when I first read... Um, uh, the what was it? The Willie Lynch letters. Right, right, right. Oh my the God, that was that was like uh, that was like uh, mind blowing to me. But it's, it was it's very accurate. Still true today. Okay. But, still true today. Okay, but okay. So how do we break that? Because anything that you talk about, whether it's religion, whether it's science, or whether it's physics, or whether it doesn't matter what it is, there has to be a transformation. There has to be a transformation in your mind. You have to right. be able to think differently. I, I definitely um, it's definitely psychological. It's def you're, you're right. Um, I, I guess like my expectations are high for for people, um, black people, and I'm, I'm gonna throw Hispanic people in there too. They're oppressed, marginalized, people of color. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of them went through the same thing. Slaves just in different countries. We'll say black and brown people. Right, right. Um, colorism and all that. Yes. Um, I, I had to point that out because sometimes they have a disconnect. Um, but that's a whole another story. But um, I, I definitely recommend um, my favorite book of all time is The Miseducation of the Negro okay. um, mm -hmm. by Carter G. Woodson, um, founder of Black History Week, turned into month. Um, so just in case everybody know, they didn't give us the shortest month of the year. Um, but anyhow, he, he talks about that in a lot of his book about how he doesn't use the word really psychological, but how we are trained yes. to just go a certain way. Um, it's been a while. I don't want to. I don't want to. He says something like, um, it, Well, I've read the book and I can't quote a single it, thing, so it, it, I just want to. It's a part where he says, like, um, as far as the, like Negro being programmed to train, that if you have a soul programmed to train, I'm paraphrasing, that if you tell us to go out the back door and there isn't a back door, we will make a back door just to go out of it. Um, I'm paraphrasing, but it's, it's and basically he's saying that once you have a black person so programmed to believe and do certain things. We'll do it even if we have to create it ourselves to do it. Um, and, you're, and you're right. We have to get out of that. Right. But um, the question is, how, how do we change that programming? Because you, you're, not the, you're not the only person that I've had this conversation with. Now, I, I have this conversation with a lot of people, but not enough people. I think the honestly, I think the blueprint has already been given to us by by these guys earlier and, and women too earlier. I don't I mean that by guys and because I would say guys and girls, but I want to say that. But guys and women earlier, um, I had to be Wells, Booker T, right. yes. Carter G. They all had, they all studied this, they exactly. all lived it, and I think they gave us the blueprint. I think we just never picked it up and followed it, or we're trying to recreate something that doesn't really necessarily sometimes necessarily sometimes need to be created recreated. I think the answer is right there. We just don't, we don't apply it, and it's not exposed. And I think we have to. But at the same time, then there's just black people that just don't want to believe certain information. It's complicated, like you said, a program. It's but very, I, it's very complicated. But I think more exposure is needed. I think more exposure, and I think people like me and you, and, and I don't know everything. And, I, and going back to what you said, there's a time where you start researching. Like yes. Malcolm X has a saying, like you don't. Um, if somebody doesn't know what you know, just remember that there was a time you didn't know what you know. Exactly. Or knew. Um, yeah, 
it's, it's but it's tiresome. It's tiresome. Like me, sometimes like I've been. I've been but pr- you can't get tired. No, you need a. You can't get tired, but you do get tired. I did. Yes, you do you get, get tired, tired. But we can't afford to get tired. I know. We have to continue. I know. I know. We can't do it. I know, but there's no such thing as too tired. Yeah, we don't. We don't have that option. And I know sometimes you feel like you're beating your head against the wall because right. sometimes I feel like I'm beating my head against the right, wall. Right, right, right. I, but, I, I said many times I give up on my people. <laughs> okay, but you know what? And I've been there. And I come back. And then you have to write. You take a little break, and then you get back on that that horse because you can't stop. None of us can stop. Right. We have to continue. We have to get because somebody fought for us. Right, right, right. And they they fought. Exactly. Maybe literally some of them fought. Exactly. Fought and died. Right. So I know that you're very political. And um, as we begin to talk about but your play. I don't play, like politics. Okay. I, you know what? I, I don't like politics, but politics is in everything. I know. I just had to throw that out there. Okay. I don't like politics, but you're right. I am political. And you're very political. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about your play. Because the reason why I say that is because I thought your play was political. Okay. Okay? I thought it was. I thought that there was aspects of it. A lot. Ain't no aspects of it. The whole play. Right was uh, on, a, on a political level. So tell me what drove you to write that piece. And let's, let's, let's tell our listeners what the name of this uh, play is. The play is called um, Any Sound, U.S. of A. Um, the play is basically about a young teenager, black teenager, who is uh, killed by a white officer unarmed. Um, the white officer is supervised by a black lieutenant who is in denial that race had anything to do with the young boy being killed. Even an officer has a history of um, uh, harassment in this minority neighborhood, black and brown neighborhood. Um, complaints against him. The lieutenant is just in denial about it, denial about racism. Pretty much overall, he feels that since he uh, was able to achieve great success at a young age, and his wife is what his wife was able to as well, who is um, Hispanic, that there's really no excuses for black and brown people not to. Uh, be successful and achieve their goals and at the same time this young man was uh, this teenager was being raised by his sister and lived with a cousin um so they had a disagreement about basically how his uh murder should be handled the sister looked more pat had a more passive viewpoint felt that you know um speaking to the people believing in the system will achieve um the goals she wants for her brother's death um, while the cousin was like, this is enough, I'm tired of this, we need to handle this death a different way, we need to let these people know we're tired of these young black teenagers being killed, there's just black men being killed by police or systematically oppressed, um, it's enough is enough. Um, so that, that's pretty much, I don't want to tell the end. Cause right, 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 we, don't, we want to give them an opportunity to come and see it. Play, right, right. right, but there are so many topics that we can discuss in that, in that particular play. Uh, let's start with the the obvious, the disparate, the the way some black people feel about other black people. Like you said, um, this was a black lieutenant who's married to a Latino woman who feels like they made it, and so they don't understand why other black people. And the reason why I want to start there is because you hear that a lot. Just because we have a sprinkling of uh, black people who um, have 
been allowed right. to to make it. Right. I think it's sometimes we stop and we we start thinking that well, if you did it, then why can't the rest of you did, do it? And I don't think I think we forget sometimes that we have been systematically held down on purpose. And just because maybe a few of us was able to to make it, we cannot stop thinking that there's not a system that's against us. So let's talk about that for a little bit because I think that's an important um, topic to I talk heard, about. I heard something called, somebody said before, there's the exception and there's the rule. So you can't keep making that person that's the exception, like the rule, which means that basically just because a few black people do make it to the top or become successful, don't think that is the general rule for all black people. Um, I, I had to put that in there because honestly, um, I feel like in real life, I run into that too often. Yes. Um, and unfortunately, I was just having a discussion with my mother. Um, I had a discussion with my mother because um, bo- both my parents um, grew up poor. Um, my mom was the first one in her family to graduate from college. Um, so financially growing up, um, that, that was like one thing I, I think I, I didn't really have to worry about. But my mother always, always, my father too, for the most part, my father too, um, hit by his actions, always was like, you don't, ever think you're better than somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, you, they always gave back to like the neighborhood, to their family who were less uh, fortunate than us. Um, so I grew up in an environment that even though me personally, I didn't have to worry about a meal or my lights staying on, I was around that type of environment. My parents reminded me that that could be you. Right. Um, and when I got older, I didn't just view it as like, oh, um, that that's them and that's me. I viewed it as, my parents teaching me that don't it's, it's basically like don't separate yourself from them don't because you are you are still them that's still your community that's still your family yes. and it always stuck with me so when I meet other black people that make it um, and kind of make smart remarks or kind of separate themselves or, or they look down at other black people it bothers me a lot because it's like Honestly, I could be like you. My parents could have raised right. me to be like you, but they didn't. And it's only like a check that can sometimes a check that will separate that's separating you from everybody else. So you get laid off all of a sudden, you're back to these, you're back with the group of people you thought you were better than. Right. And now you want to act like nothing happened, but it, it doesn't work like that. You ignored them, you didn't, you act like you didn't need them, but now you're in a jam, you're back with them, you want them to accept you, and it doesn't work like that. So I just think that, um, Overall, even when black people make it, another way to look at it is that you're still going to have, like, for example, me, you're still going to have that cousin going to jail. You're mm-hmm. still going to have that family member that's going to be evicted. But, you, you don't, know, black it, people are not the only... Um, well, it affects us more because we're disproportionately affected by poverty, disproportionately affected by people going to prison. We're disproportionately, mm-hmm. disproportionately affected by police presence so we're disproportionately affected by the educational system by being put out the class suspended we're just automatically because of who we are affected more so okay. you're right it's not just our community but it affects us more so we can't ignore everyone else because it could come back to us because just like I don't have the option of like I have the option of being like I'm a black guy with a college degree who works for the state and so I don't really have to worry about the police bothering me because if they pull me over, I could just say, hey, I don't have anything. My, I don't have any drugs. I don't have any guns and my license is good. I'll be on my way as soon as you just give me this ticket or don't give me the ticket. But at the end of the day, I don't have that option because I know in the back of my head, he doesn't look at me. He doesn't know nothing yes, about me. He looks at me that. as a black man that he doesn't know nothing about and that I'm just as big as a threat 
to as any other criminal, regardless exactly. of their race. Exactly. So I don't have that option of separating myself. Um, as, and a lot of people think they do. I, I watched a documentary or, or news. I think this was right around the time of um, Trayvon Martin. This black guy said he doesn't allow his sons to wear hoodies. They have to wear pants all the time. Middle class black family. Um, he felt if his children dressed a certain way. Or looked a certain looked way. Looked a certain way. They won't have to deal with racism. They won't have to worry about police bothering them. Um, but do you think that that was true once upon a time? We, when I say once upon a time, I, I mean like, wasn't there a, a time when, yes, that might have been true? Ah, Martin Luther King was killed in his suit. Malcolm X was <laughs> killed in his suit. Black men were lynched in their suit. Black women raped in their dresses. So uh, no, that's, the answer is no. <laughs> there's somebody, because people say that, and I just be like, oh, how like how do I dress? Like, I don't, I don't understand that question. Like, what, what is the look for me to pass? I don't know. Well, I'm going to tell you something, a, st- a quick story. Yeah. I had um, someone, a white girl, a white woman, I won't call her a girl, tell me that she, when, when she would see black women walking down the street on the same side as her, she would cross the street. Right. But she said to me that, but you are different. If I saw you, I wouldn't cross the street. You'd accept the and Negro. I really, and I, right, and I, and I kind of did the double take look like I needed to understand what you meant by that. Because they think, they think that's a compliment. How was that a compliment? Because you, because this is, and this is how a lot of black people measure themselves as success, just to go, to go back to the question a little bit, we measure our success based off of how we're accepted by mainstream society, by the masses. If we move to a certain neighborhood, Oh, you doing better than so and so, or you made it. Versus, I live in this this neighborhood. I'm making the same amount of money as you. I choose to live here, but you're not gonna look me at look at me as successful because I didn't move to that neighborhood. So she looks at you differently because she finds you more acceptable. Because oh, so I'm a safe black woman. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. she knows you. But if she didn't yeah, know you, she know me. If she didn't know you. She probably was still crossing the street. Exactly. And that's, you know what, though? And honestly, you brought that up. I, I, I know we're kind of skipping. Um, but we go back to. No, we're going to go back to where we're going back but to. But honestly, like, I just want people to know. Like, I don't know. I don't know who's listening. But that's, that's like, mentally damaging to, to black people. Like, like today. And it becomes, to, sometimes it comes to a point where you don't know if, like, you're, you're paranoid or not. Like, today, for example. And it's like, I deal with this on a, on a regular as a, as a black man. I'm walking to the parking lot. I work at Patterson. I'm walking from my building. I'm dressed in a... I'm going to tell you what I'm wearing right now. Just like, you know, I got a button-up linen shirt, khaki pants, and shoes. Ball-headed. I'm walking to... Out of the building to the parking garage. It's about 100 feet between those two buildings. Mm-hmm. Or the parking garage and the building. Um, another woman, Caucasian, is walking towards the entrance of the garage. Same direction, but coming from a different angle. She's coming from a different building. Mm-hmm. She looks at me stops walks a little bit in the opposite direction mm-hmm. stops so i'm like all right then she looks at me like she's coming back towards the garage i'm still walking mm-hmm. regular pace then she looks at me like she's coming back towards the garage then she looks at me stops turns around again automatically i'm thinking she doesn't want to walk in the parking garage while i'm walking while the you're in the parking garage mind yes. you so i'm supposed to be an acceptable negro i'm coming from work at a building I got a 
button-up shirt on, mm-hmm. got pants on. I'm walking to the garage, just like you walk to the garage. But I'm not seen, I'm seen as a black man. Right. I'm not seen as somebody that just left work that's probably making more money than her. I'm seen as that black man that's probably going to rob her. Right. And could I be wrong about my assumption of, of why she was pacing back and forth? I could be. But based off of experience, yes. I'm not wrong. Now, psychologically, you're uh, thinking, okay, this is... And, and I'm the same way. It could be innocence. It's like yes. they say when you go in the store and they ask you if you need help. Sometimes yeah. black like, people... why are you asking me that? Right. Is and it because could be, I'm black? Right. And it could be innocent. <laughs> they could just really be trying to help you. Yeah. But because you've been followed in a store before or because you haven't been treated like you may have a certain amount of money, now you don't know what to think. You're, you're messed up in the head. You're like, are they actually trying to help me or are they just trying to see what I'm doing in the store, trying to fish for what I'm doing in the store. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the same thing that I'm trying to prove right now in the parking lot is that that's something I do on occasion. And I, and it's so obvious. I don't think people know whether or not it's obvious when they do it. I see you clutching your pocket, but yes. I, I feel your uncomfortableness. I feel you looking down at the ground. I see it. it it's like, it's so, so obvious. It's so, so obvious. Yes. And I just want people to know that that, you you mentally you can mentally like destroy a person as far as when they go in public places by you doing that because now you're uncomfortable even if they don't want to be uncomfortable they're uncomfortable because how can you be, how can you really be comfortable around people that ain't comfortable on you exactly so I, I just wanted to, I just wanted to put that out there because you brought that up and that happened to me today and it's, you just get sick and tired of it honestly you get so sick and tired of it so sick and tired of it. Um, and it's like, and like I said, you start to become paranoid. And what do black people have to do in order to? There's nothing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so you you already gave up on that, huh? It's like yeah, there ain't nothing we could do. Like my father told me when um, he gave me the talk about you know getting pulled over by the police. He gave me that talk when I was 17. Got pulled over by the police a couple of times. Um, he said, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, I was mad frustrated because this is new to me at that yeah, age. Just yeah. got my license, 17, 18 years old, been driving a year. So I've been pulled over, I think it was like three times or something, I can't remember. But um, the last time, I, at the, that time I had to get out the car and I was with my friend, the police searched the car. And I went home and told my dad and I was mad. And I'm like, we, we gonna do this, we need to. My dad told me the proper way of handling that situation, which is you know filing a report with the police department. But he also told me how to act when that happens. Now um, I, I have a problem with that. I have a problem with the fact that we have to now teach our young black boys how to act. Not if they get pulled over by a police officer, but when right. they get pulled over by a police officer. I think that's ridiculous. And that has become the, the well, norm, norm in our neighborhood. And, I, and I'm not, really, Any, ha- I'm anyway, not really happy with it being the norm. Anyway, I'm, for, I'm not happy, but to, to finish what my dad said, in, in, in relating to what you're saying, he's saying, and that's never going to stop. 17 years old, he told me, it's never going to stop. He said, I just got pulled over the other night. So. So it's never going to stop. And, and, and we're supposed, become, and, and it it's become, okay. We're going to accept that. It's it, never going to stop. And it kind of relates to what I said before. It becomes normal. It's not normal, but, but it becomes normal. But should we be normal. making it normal? I don't make it normal. But, but my, my question is not, should you be making it normal? Should we, as a people, accept that this is normal? I, what, I mean, I, I know I'm only 58 years old. And therefore, that I've missed that whole, um, um, what is it, um, 60s and, I mean, I was born in 1961, but obviously I missed that whole era in which black people were treated so horrifically with the dogs and the water holes and, and you, you know, yeah. all that, this stuff. But, I, I mean, in the beginning, I think I was 
uh, okay with just okay this is status quo but like you said education my research and me literally um just transforming my own mind i can't i can't accept this anymore this is not normal and i can't take this as being normal and i know if i'm not careful i'm gonna find myself in trouble i get that but i i just can't i i don't i feel like we need to be doing a little bit more saying a little bit more demanding a little bit more and i know that when i when i talk like that it puts us in a position where okay that list we was talking about earlier gonna land us right on it but what? But what? My question but, is. But I, I feel like that this is not normal. It is, it's not. It's normal to Black America. It's not normal, but it's normal to Black America. Like I don't. I don't know how it's not normal. Like I don't. Like when I talk to people of other races, <laughs> I tell them like, me and my friends, we and relatives, older relatives, just other Black men, we have that conversation about police. I said it's crazy how sometimes we can name the neighborhoods, automatic. Like we know the neighborhoods not to drive through. Or we know the neighbors if you drive through what's gonna happen. We know what to do. We know we could be in a car together and know that this police officer is about it's just crazy to know that it's automatic for us. But some people can't comprehend that. They think like like because we getting it ain't a, normal. Right. That's right. They think it's we getting together and like we like the cop this, the cop that. No, it, it's this is our life. And even though we can live in different neighborhoods, we might not know each other at one point of our life, but know each other later on. We all have that common experience. And it unfortunately it is is I know what you're saying, you don't like the word normal and I, I probably I don't know I'm well, using the, the right only, that's it, the only word we can use. It, it's the normal. only word we can use is normal because it's been your every day, all your life, the fifty eight years, even before I even knew this was happening. Right. It was happening. It right. wasn't until you know, I started to notice when I was probably more like 18 or 19 started something you know something's a little strange i'm being treated a little differently but then i started thinking back when i was in school when i was in elementary school and then i started remembering how i was treated differently i started remembering how okay it was all i knew then and it was normal until you start realizing that it ain't normal to everybody else that don't exist Right, and right. then you start looking back at all the many times you were treated differently. Right. All the many times because of your color. Right, right, right. That's yeah. when you get the most frustrated, like that example yeah. I gave today. Like, I'm per- I was perfectly fine. Probably didn't know I was black today to that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, you didn't know you was that, you was that type of black man. Uh, oh, no, I, I ain't going to forget <laughs> that. Where they put, I'm a regular black man. They, they ain't separating me from nobody else. But I, I mean, like, I know I'm black every day. But I mean, like, then there's that, you, that, Incident happens that you're like, oh yeah, I'm black, black. Oh yeah, like, I know. forgot I was black. Like black, black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now in the play, um, the um, the young boy, what was his name again? Jameer. Uh, Jameer, right? So Jameer was shot. Right. And um, he wasn't even doing anything. He was literally doing what he was supposed to do. Right, right, right. Um, th- what's the stereotype with young black boys? Um, because he was in the play, he was coming home from detention. Detention. He had a bad day. Yes, he had a bad day. Right. But what is the stereotype? Young boys, um, um, automatically perceived as being troublemakers a or a threat, right. um, because it happens. And did you? I think to, that that yeah. a part, um, part of the character was me. 
Okay, that's what uh, I was going to ask you. And my friends, because yeah. um, like I said, as a teenager, you go through that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, to me, that, that was like simple. And any almost any um, black male that acknowledges racism or discrimination, you know, if you denial, you probably can't relate. But if mm-hmm. you acknowledge it exists, any black boy um, by the age of 18, at least by the age of 18, is going to relate to that character. So I had to make him um, angry that day because, you know what, sometimes we are angry. Mm-hmm. and But we don't have the opportunity to be angry and view right. it as it's being angry. When we're angry, it's we're a threat, we're going to fight, we're going to, we're just, we're, we're the worst people in the world, we're beasts, we're, we're everything. Um, so so I, we as a people can't show anger. We can't show Ever. Me. We can't ever show anger. No, we can't. Black because women, black it's going to be, yes, emotion, right? it's going to be misconstrued. Right. We can't show emotion. We can't yell. We can't, you know, be, if passion is looked at as something mm-hmm. else. So um, I threw him, I threw in there him having a bad day because we're not allowed to have those. If if he was calm, maybe the situation would be different. But you know what? I want him to have a bad day because sometimes we do have bad days. We yeah. could be a good person with a bad day, but we don't have that option okay. without consequences. All right. So you're listening to Real Talk with Real People. I am your host, Dr. Caroline Bethia Jones, and my special guest today is Jonathan Travis, and we're talking about his latest um, play. So so. Right. I love your characters. I loved every single one of your characters. Thank you. Appreciate it. And so, did you um, model them after somebody you knew? Um, no. Each of the characters. No, honestly, I just felt like I, I picked because this is a complex. My plays, I feel like dealing with complex issues. So I felt like I had to take a black person. Um, I had an Hispanic woman in there. Mm-hmm. I had to take. I felt like like a black person like who's militant because there's militant black people mm-hmm. a black person who believes that racism exists sh- struggling the best way to deal with it but is passive about it more or less um the person that's in denial the black person in denial about racism the 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 light-skinned hispanic woman who's struggling with colorism mm-hmm. um the teenage black boy that is trying to find himself um but is considered a threat even though they could be a good kid based off the naked eye they're a threat though but if you got to know that child he was an honor roll student mm-hmm. um then how to throw in the, the the complex issues we deal with systematically as far as the parents not being in a home i didn't want to stereotype too much mm-hmm. um but i had to acknowledge that in america we have an issue right now where um millions of black people are locked up for crimes that i shouldn't say millions that's not right but thousands of black people are locked up for crimes that are nonviolent, um, and they're doing a long time for that. So I had to throw that in there. Can't ignore that. And the mental health issue is something that is um, finally, I think, being acknowledged more in the black community, but still not getting the right attention. So I had to throw that in there too. So I felt like I had to throw a little bit of all of type all of, of it, people yes. from black America and Latin Latin uh, Latin America in in that play. Um, because I wanted people to see how complex it really is for us. Now, why do you think uh, mental issues in the black community is not being addressed? I mean, uh, it's, it's starting to be addressed, it's starting but to be why do you think it took so long for um, even black people to realize that they might need a little help? Uh, man, I, honestly, I, I, I'm, I 
don't know the answer, but I, my guess is one, we we don't have the option to have mental health issues. And this go back to what you said earlier, like because we deal with so much, but we have to keep going. So um, I think that's part of it. We have to be, we have to be strong. We have to like, even though we deal with so much, sometimes nobody wants to hear that. Um, we can't vent to just anybody about our problems. So that's one reason I think um, religion has a lot to do with it. Um, a lot of black people are religious to the point where you just pray about it, speak to the pastor about it. Sadly, that is all the time we have right now. But don't worry, join us again for part two of Real Talk with Jonathan Travis. I am your host, Dr. Caroline Bethia-Jones, and I will see you next time on Real Talk with Real People.